Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, good morning, Antioch family. If you are new here and you don't know who I am, my name is Sean. I am one of the pastors on our team, and I'd love to get to know you, just, you know, not right now, maybe later. Uh, Today, we are going to spend some time looking at a story that many of us have heard countless times throughout our lives, so thank you to Brooke for reading the text for us today. Uh, By way of quick reminder, we are still in our very exciting season of the church calendar called Ordinary Time, and we will be here for quite a bit longer. Today is the sixth Sunday after Pentecost, and we'll have 24 Sundays like this before Advent, so get comfortable. But what we do in this season is, as we journey from Pentecost to Advent, is to try and grow and mature and look more and more like Christ in our everyday, ordinary lives. As you've heard the past few weeks with Michelle Jones, then Kip, then Rick, and then Josh Butler last week, we are settling in with the Gospel of Luke for the remainder of the, sum- of the summer, hearing all sorts of parables from Jesus, and right now specifically, stories about his time on the road up to Jerusalem. And Luke's Gospel is really a gospel for everyone who is primarily written with a Gentile audience in mind. It was expanding beyond the borders of Jewish particularism that said Messiah was only for the Jews, while each specific gospel account tends to talk about Jesus in a unique way or a specific way, what I see in Luke is an emphasis on Jesus as a person. You know, obviously he's not just a normal dude because he is 100% divine, but we see in Luke an emphasis that Jesus is 100% human as well. And this is a great time to remind you that theologians are bad at math. So more so than other accounts, though, Luke loves to tell a story. And we got a new microphone that is going to give me problems all day. So you're going to see me grabbing this, and that's fine. We're going to make it work, all right? This is like Michael Jordan's flu game. I'm just going gonna, gonna to power through it. We're going to make it happen. Okay? Uh, so Luke, he loves to tell a story. He's very deliberate about what he says. He is wonderful grammar, likes to keep things organized, and he takes great care to celebrate minor characters and to celebrate and elevate women. With all that in mind, I'm hopeful and expectant that the Spirit is alive and active in this place this morning as we look at this unique story from the life of Jesus. But first, I'd like to play a game. It's called This or That. You've probably played this game before. It's very simple. It's, it's a close cousin to Would You Rather, but without the like two horrible options or that are really gross, you know? Uh, but This or That forces you to choose between only two choices. You have to choose one or the other. There is no picking both. There's no picking neither. There's no abstaining from this game. You must participate. You must choose one. That is how it works. So, Let's start with a simple one. Are you a morning person or an evening person? Who's the, who are the morning people here? Okay, okay. Who are the evening people? All right, so you got a pretty big split there. Uh, okay, do you prefer, and I have a hunch how this one's going to go. Do you prefer the beach or the mountains? Okay, who are the beach people? Okay, all right, okay, that's more than I thought. Who, who are the mountain people? Yeah, okay, you live in Bend. Yeah, that's not surprising. Uh, do you prefer Seinfeld or Friends? Okay, this is like, who are the Seinfeld people? Yeah, those are my people. Okay, who are the friends people? Yeah, of course. Yeah, right. Uh, what about dogs or cats? All right, I know this is controversial. Who, where are the cat people? You can expose yourselves, okay? 
Okay, dog people, right, yeah, I saw a dog out there, riders out there right now. Okay, uh, what about ducks or beavers? Where are the ducks at? Okay, and the beavers are at where? Okay, that's pretty, pretty good split. You know, hopefully they're going to be in the same conference this time next year. Who knows what's going to happen there? We might be rivals, Baylor and Oregon, so look out. Uh, okay, uh, what about 10-barrel or Deschutes? Okay, where are the 10-barrel people at? Okay, we've got a couple, Deschutes. Not a lot of beer drinkers here, I guess. That's surprising. Uh, you know, for a while there, it was Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. who was the best quarterback. That one's kind of decided. Basketball, you know, it's Michael Jordan, LeBron James. We all know where I stand on that one. Jordan is the only correct answer. Um, Twilight fans, you know, Team Edward, Team Jacob, right? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I see a couple millennial females that love Twilight there. Uh, Peter or Gail in the Hunger Games, right? We, we love to pit people or ideas against each other. You've got to choose a side. There is no room for nuance. There's no room for gray area. It's not just with silly stuff like TV shows or sports or book characters. It gets more serious with politics and law and theology and things that actually matter. You've got to pick a side and you have got to stick with it. And, you know, sometimes it really is important to pick a side and to take a stand, but oftentimes there's more to learn and a fuller expression when we find a synthesis between two seemingly opposed ideas. And I don't know all the sermons that you've heard about this passage, but I think for a lot of us, uh, Mary and Martha seem to be pitted against each other. They're one more example where we should pick sides, uh, and oftentimes they represent some larger or bigger idea. You can only be Team Mary or Team Martha, and as we heard there, we know that Jesus says that Mary does the better thing, so we should probably choose to be on Team Mary. So... I'm going to give you a spoiler warning here. My goal is at the end of this sermon that we're going to find ways to appreciate both Mary and Martha, not just to find a third way for a third way's sake, but because I believe that Jesus actually does that in the text, and unfortunately, we've missed out on an appreciation far too often and the deeper meaning of what this story has to tell us. So the text begins like this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, our text today immediately follows the story of the Good Samaritan from last week with Josh Butler, and and that is very important. If you recall, even a few weeks before that, Kip preached, and he talked about how in Luke 9, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, that he turned his face towards this beautiful and broken city where he knew that he was going to die. And we're still on that same journey with Jesus on the road up to Jerusalem. And the stories and parables that Jesus tells during this journey are incredibly important. They're ideas and principles that are essential to how Jesus portrays and shares the kingdom of God. We learned last week that the story of the Good Samaritan was extremely radical. It was Jesus redrawing the boundaries of God's people. He was sending out a clear message about how the gospel is not just for Jews or for Israel or for insiders. It was for everyone, even enemies like the Samaritans. It would have shocked the audience to see that a Samaritan was the true example of a neighbor in the kingdom of God. With the story of Mary and Martha, the the listeners would have been equally as shocked at how Jesus was redrawing the boundaries between men and women. The ways in which he was blurring lines that had been laid down for a long time and sending out a clear counter-cultural message that we'll talk about more in just a moment. We know from John's gospel that Mary and Martha, their sisters with Lazarus, 
famous for being raised from the dead. We hear about uh, the perfume on Jesus' feet in the account in John. And it's important to note here in Luke that uh, it's described as Martha's home. This probably meant that she was an independent woman, that she was financially stable. Maybe she was a widow, but she owns and manages the house. Otherwise, it would have been referred to by her husband's name, maybe even Lazarus's house. And many scholars tend to think that she maybe was even hosting a house church there. And as the story begins with Jesus dropping in on Mary and Martha, Martha's first impulse was to get something going in the kitchen. Maybe uh, many of you have the same tendency when someone comes over, or maybe you have a parent or a spouse who does this. My mom is amazing at this. Feeding people is her love language. When I, would ha- when I was in high school, I would have friends who would just come over to my house to eat. They didn't even want to see me, you know, or spend, <laughs> spend any time with me. They were often uninvited, but I knew that there would be food there, that my mom would make something for them. There were ice cream treats in the freezer, you know. It's like that was the place that they wanted to go. And this is what Martha is doing too. She is being faithful to the tradition of hospitality that was established all the way by Abraham back in Genesis 19. He welcomes three guests to his tent with his wife, Sarah. And this sense of hospitality continues throughout Jewish and Middle Eastern culture. Reverend Dr. Naveen Saras is a pastor in Wisconsin now, but she was actually raised in Bethlehem in Palestine. In writing about this passage, she talks about how first century Palestine and in modern day Palestinian culture, hospitality is about allowing the guests to share the sacredness of the family space. I love how she puts that. And within this culture, even then as it is now, uh, the women's role was primarily about preparing the food. Uh, It was about cooking. And failing to, to be a good host meant disrespecting the guest. In Jesus' time, culture and specifically homes were often divided between male and female spaces. There were public rooms in the house where men would meet while women largely remained in the private spaces or in the kitchen specifically. Uh, Martha assumed that her sister Mary would uh, join her in the work of preparation. But as the text tells us in verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So, In this case, we see that Mary is stepping into a traditionally male role or a male space. She wasn't doing what she was supposed to be doing or expected to be doing based on the cultural constraints of the time. Because sitting at someone's feet meant to be their student. And this wasn't just like something that anyone did for the sake of learning, but sitting at the feet of a rabbi was what you did if you wanted to be a rabbi yourself. So it is entirely scandalous what Mary is doing. She's stepping away from the kitchen. She's stepping out of the private spaces. She's forsaking her expected responsibilities of hospitality, and she is firmly planting herself as the student of a rabbi, someone who will teach about God. Well, Martha has some feelings about this. Um, She doesn't love it, I would say. Uh, The text says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. So again, in preparing this meal, uh, Martha is fulfilling her socially mandated role, and Mary is seemingly abandoning hers, leaving Martha to do all the work herself. 
Now, I love to cook. I love to prepare meals, cook for groups, and I'm sure that there are many of you who feel the same way. Cooking, hosting, preparing meals for others in our home is fun and special and rewarding. But we also know that when we're responsible for the cooking, or maybe it's lighter for all the cleaning, we can kind of miss out on some things, right? Uh, You're missing out on some of the fun. You're missing out on some of the conversation, some of the life updates. You go back to do something, and all of a sudden you find out someone's pregnant or engaged or whatever. You're like, what? I didn't know about that. I was missing. I was cooking, right? And so maybe this is why every time you watch Fixer Up or House Hunters, they want an open concept. Yeah, you know, I want to be, you know, I don't want to be hiding in the kitchen while everything else is going on. I want to know what is happening. You don't want to miss out, and I agree with that. And, and if, even if you're feeling if you're missing out, it's only compounded by the fact that you feel like you don't have any help when you're doing it by yourself. So as Martha was preparing food, as she was bringing it out, I, was, I bet she was doing this trick, and I know I've done, I'll admit that I've done this when I've been frustrated. You know, you just make as much noise as possible, right? You're like, oh, okay, I'm doing some stuff back here, and you're like whacking everything. You like bring the food out. You like drop it down, and you like give like a little stink eye, then like walk away. Or, you know, you put the food down, you go, And then someone notices, like, are you okay? Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I I just imagine Martha doing that, just making as much noise as possible, like, Mary, are you ever going to help me with all the stuff that is going on? Because for Martha, she had reached her limit. She wasn't having any more of it. She was doing all of the work, and Mary was doing none. And so she finally interrupts Jesus to see if he is going to do anything about this grave injustice that is being perpetrated against her. And what's interesting is she doesn't actually address her sister. She addresses Jesus, who is supposed to be the guest in her home, and she puts him on the spot. She says, don't you care? Because in Martha's eyes, Mary isn't the only one in trouble. Jesus is too. He's complicit in all this. Martha has broken all the rules of hospitality by trying to embarrass her sister in front of their guest. She's asked their guest to play mediator in a family dispute. You ever been at someone's house and the family argument breaks out? You're like, should I be here? (laughs) Can I go, right? You know, Martha even accuses Jesus of not caring about her. And so next we hear Jesus' response. The text says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken away from her. And when I picture Jesus' response, again, I imagine him taking a nice, long, deep breath, smiling and very gently saying, Martha, Martha. This repetition is known as a conduplicatio. I think that's how you say that word, but it's a rhetorical device. When you, when you say something twice in someone's name there, it's to indicate compassion. It's to indicate tenderness and to indicate sympathy because that's what I think Jesus is offering Martha and not harshness and not judgment, not condemnation because Jesus, he's not overly concerned with busy Martha He's concerned with worried and distracted Martha. This word that's translated here in our NIV NIV, as upset is probably better understood as distracted. It literally means to be pulled in different directions. 
And Jesus is concerned that she's worked herself up into a state of anxious distraction and he is gently calling her to refocus. To understand that hospitality is not primarily about the food or the preparation, but it's about attention. And when he says that Martha has chosen what is better, it's probably best understood as saying, or that Mary has chosen what is better. It's probably best understood as saying Mary has chosen what is good. Which comes back to where we started, that Mary and Martha are pitted against each other. We don't need to juxtapose these two characters because reinforcing the dichotomy isn't helpful. One of them is not good. One of them is not bad. We don't need to reject Martha to understand Mary or vice versa. But when we synthesize them together, we are given a much more full and complete picture. In fact, one of the best things we do when we're approached with any type of seemingly dichotomy where we must choose one or the other is not ask which is right and which is wrong or which is good and which is bad, but how can I learn from their differences? So first, one of the themes of the gospel of Luke comes to light, and that's Jesus' elevation of women. Here we can avoid the the traditional dichotomy of men versus women, but see them as working together on equal footing. Jesus affirms Mary's right to sit at his feet. He says that this is a good thing, her sitting at the feet of a rabbi, sitting at the feet of a teacher, and we know what that means, because Jesus is promoting a vision and a foretaste of equality. He is saying that these women have as much to learn and to teach as any man, even if that vision is not fully realized in Jesus' day. He is affirming, celebrating, and encouraging Mary and any other woman who, when they hear Jesus speaking about the kingdom, know that God is calling them to sit at his feet, to listen carefully, to speak of it, and to live it out. So he said that this was a radical story following another radical story, and this is what Jesus affirms, that women have an essential and equal role in the kingdom of God. And the actions of Jesus here, they both affirm and confirm what we all experience here at Antioch and in our lives about how a full expression of the kingdom of God has women and men serving together equally. The next dichotomy that we can learn from in this passage is the one that seeks to place a divide between the, the, activis, the activism or the doing of Martha and the contemplation or the being of Mary. Throughout history, some people have argued that Jesus telling Mary that she's doing the better thing, although we know now it's probably more likely a good thing, means that the contemplative life, the the life of being is more important than the activist life or the life of action. And oftentimes when we go down this path, we end up making a caricature of Martha. Two weeks ago, uh, Rick preached about Jesus sending out the 72, and what Jesus did is he told them to expect and to accept hospitality from others, for others to welcome them into their home, to feed them, and that is exactly what Martha is doing in this passage. In a few more chapters in this gospel, we will hear a debate rage among the disciples about who among them is the greatest. In that moment, Jesus will define great discipleship and even his own ministry in terms of serving others using the exact same language that is used to describe Martha in this passage. So when it comes to this activist versus 
contemplative distinction or the doing versus the being, we see that we don't need to reject Martha in order to appreciate Mary or vice versa. Mary should be celebrated for breaking through cultural constraints and breaking through cultural expectations to sit at Jesus' feet. This is a good thing. And surely because of this, she was integral in the sharing of the kingdom of God moving forward. She not only follows Jesus' example, but serves as an example for us that sometimes we need to break through cultural constraints for the kingdom of God. It would have been easier for her to accept her role, to allow the sexism of her day to persist, to perform her duties in the kitchen because that was what was expected of her. But she broke through those barriers because she knew the radically powerful and radically inclusive message of the kingdom, which is why we must do the same by continuing to break through the barriers of sexism, surely, but also racism and nationalism and classism and whatever other cultural constraints get in the way of our love of God and our love of neighbor. Because the reality is, if we are overly critical of Martha, we end up with an image of faith that never actually does anything for anyone else. And that's why this text and the story of the Good Samaritan need to be understood together. The Samaritan embodies love for neighbor. Mary embodies love for God. And both of them are seemingly disqualified due to the norms of their culture. Samaritans are evil. Women have a specific role. But they are both images of the kingdom of God that Jesus brings. But Martha is also needed to complete the discipleship Jesus calls for, which is to hear God's word and to do something about it. The story of the good Samaritan ends, go and do likewise, which Martha embodies for us in our text today. You're not going to hear me say she gets it exactly right. But when we see these three characters together, we see the embodiment of love of God, the embodiment of love of neighbor, and concrete actions towards both of those. Alred of Raveau uh, was an English monk in the 12th century. It wouldn't be a sermon for me without a random quote like this. But he puts it like this. He says, By no means should you neglect Mary for the sake of Martha, nor again Martha for the sake of Mary. For if you neglect Martha, who will feed Jesus? And if you neglect Mary, what benefit will it be to you that Jesus entered your house since you will have tasted nothing of his sweetness? It's both and, not either or. But even though Jesus does it gently, he does offer some feedback for Martha. He says, can I give you some feedback, right? Uh, Pastor and Professor Elizabeth Johnson says it's better to understand Jesus' words to Martha as an invitation rather than a rebuke. And I don't know about you guys, but I've always thought about this as a rebuke, or I've heard sermons in the past that, that she's being scolded in this case. But for Jesus, the problem, again, is not her serving, but that she's worried and distracted. Her distraction and her worry prevent her from offering her undivided, undistracted, and full attention to her guest which is always a sure sign of hospitality, but especially when your guest is, you know, Jesus. Uh, she's missing out on the one thing needed for hospitality and in actuality missing out the one thing needed itself, Jesus. Dr. Johnson puts it like this, the, the one thing needed is for Martha to receive the gracious presence of Jesus, to listen to his words, to know that she is valued not for what she does or how well she does it, but for who she is as a child of God. 
So when I think about the dichotomy that we can learn from here, I think Jesus is calling us to think about the difference between presence and distraction. As we said before, the word used to describe Martha is literally understood as being pulled in numerous different directions. And this busyness and this distraction comes from a good place. She has noble intentions. She's doing what is expected of her. She feels as if she is offering hospitality to an honored guest, but she is not quite seeing the whole picture. She's so distracted by the preparations and the activity. Again, good things that she is missing out on the best thing, which is Jesus himself. And today we have a million things to be distracted by. It feels as if we have more things than ever. You know, we have the usual things that have been around for a while, like work and school and play dates and soccer practice and cooking and family drama and cleaning the house and making time to have adult friends, but also saving money. But technology has also made us even more distracted than ever. You know, we can always refresh Instagram again, scroll endlessly, check Facebook, check Twitter, check TikTok, check Facebook Marketplace for, kit, for deals, right? And we're doing this while we're watching a show and conceivably spending time with someone we love or someone we're with or a friend. Linda Stone is a former Apple and Microsoft executive, and she coined this phrase to describe what we're living through as an era of continuous partial attention. Ugh. Ah. That nonstop we are offering only part of ourselves to whatever we are doing. Sure, we're, we're having a game night, but we also have that very important work email to respond to, and I'm going over and over in my head about how I should rephrase that. Maybe I'll get out my phone and do it real fast. Yes, yes, we are out on a double date, but my daughter's softball team now has online updates so you can track the game. So, you know, I, I want to stay involved. I want to stay connected to that. Maybe, maybe you are in church listening to another boring sermon, but the British Open is on this morning. So you say, hey, is Rory still winning? How, how is it going there? You know, this is what is going on. And Stone puts it like this. She says, we are everywhere except where we actually are physically. And I think she is mostly focused on the technology, but I think technology is one component, but also where we are, you know, just what we're thinking through. And there are lots of layers to this few that I think are helpful. First one, practically, is how can we be more present with the people that we are with or the people that we are in relationship with, family, friends, coworkers, whomever? What would it look like for each of us to give our full attention and presence to those that we are actually with versus staring at our little you know, black mirrors or being so deep in thought about that work project looming over us? What can you do today starting, what can you do starting today to be more present to the people that you are around the most? As silly as it sounds, here's a simple little step. What if you only looked at one screen at a time? Right? Just one screen, you know, like, all right, we're watching the show. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, I'm also on my phone doing a million things, right? What if we looked at one screen at a time? Or what if we decided to leave our work at work whenever is possible? Whatever it is, how can you move from distraction to presence with your time and your people starting today? And on a deeper level, what does it look like for us to give our full presence and our full attention to Jesus? Because we see here that 
Jesus calls Martha and us to take a deep breath, to see the good thing that Mary is doing by sitting in Jesus' presence, pausing and giving her full attention. We begin to see that Jesus invites all of us who are worried and distracted and pulled in different directions by all sorts of things, both good and bad, to sit and to rest in his presence. <sighs> to hear his words of grace and truth and to know that we are loved and valued as children of God. That he wants to refresh our faith. He wants to strengthen us for service because it's when our doing gets distanced from our being that we run into trouble. He wants us to know that we are loved as children of God, and it's from that overflow that we are called to extend that same love and service to others. As Allred of Revaux reminded us, what good is it to have Jesus in our lives if we taste nothing of his sweetness? Jesus is telling us there is a need for only one thing, and that is attention to our guest. And as it turns out, our guest is actually our host, and he has abundant gifts to offer us. So what would it look like for you today to begin to give more presence to your relationship with Jesus, whether that is practical things like some of our practices or whatever it looks like for you, how can you go from this place giving more of your attention and your presence to Jesus? So, Antioch family, may we be a people who are different because we have glimpsed and experienced this radical kingdom of God. Different because we serve a kingdom that calls us all equally into service different because we serve a kingdom that deeply connects our being to our doing, and different because we serve a kingdom that invites us from distraction to presence in our everyday lives and relationships, but also in our relationship with Jesus himself. Because when we offer him our full presence, we honor and welcome our most treasured guest. Amen. Now, Pastor Amy is going to come up and lead us through the centering practice and presence of communion together.